0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Going Off Track, Stephen, Brad, and Jonah. Yeah. Hello. Hi. You, like, you guys you guys actually time how we do that now. I say it, then we wait, then everybody jumps on the mic. Oh, I, wasn't just,
1: I, just oh, I nice. was just I just was not paying
2: attention. I was just actually
0: make... saying hi. I forgot we're timing the podcast. Oh, really? oh yeah. that's cool. Hi, guys. Hey. Today's podcast <laughs> is, you, you remember back in the day when you would have a sitcom and they'd go, today's a very special episode. Today is a very special episode of Going Off Track. Since we started the podcast, I dare say this guest has been our goal. Many, many years ago, on on a, on a, on a very untitled television program, we did a, a request: whatever you need, please come on. We just want to talk to you. Blake Schwarzenbach is here today, and if you know me, you know that this this is my Bob Dylan. Like he's my favorite singer songwriter. Jobbreaker is my favorite band. Jets to Brazil. I've seen Joan and I saw Thorns of Life to the point where we snuck into a party.
2: <laughs> yeah, we snuck into a party in Bed star or something. Yeah. Saw them play. <laughs> saw them play people. S- people <laughs> were very surprised you were there. I felt like they're like, Steven, untotal rocks.
0: Like, hey, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> trying to be cool here. Yeah, we brought the we brought the celeb star power to Bedstar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to hang uh, out. And then uh
2: Forgetters, of course. Forgetters. Um wasn't he in he was in a couple other bands? Uh Jets to Brazil and Jawbreaker. Some obscure bands you probably haven't yeah, heard no, of. Yeah, no, no,
0: not a big deal at all. Uh, but yeah, no.
2: this is awesome. This is Steven's dream. Next, Chuck Reagan. We are coming for you.
0: Yeah, for Jonah. Yeah. And then, of course, for Brad, we have to get Paul Westerberg. Be fun. And yeah. then for Mike, we have to get Josh Homme. I'm, and Mike will show up for that one. That's his jam. Or Mike Patton for Faith No More for Mike. But this is like... Uh, we didn't bring this up, so we can bring it up now. Uh, Jonah and I went to see Thorns of Life. And I had had enough Amstels because I was nervous to in your
2: defense there was a bucket of free beer there was a lot of which beer. it's hard to restrain yourself in that situation you don't have to drive you're seeing a show and there's just buckets of beer around it like a weird private and it was like 8
0: 30 at night like we, we were it wasn't even late by the time we walked out it was 10 o'clock
2: well it's funny yeah my friend sherry is friends with him and she was like blake's playing a show do you want to go and i was like can i bring my friend steven she's like well it's pretty small i was like you don't understand <laughs> i have to bring steven. she was like okay
1: it so thank you sherry but yeah thank so you, we're at this
2: party we've had a lot of drinks Blake plays an amazing
0: set mm-hmm. with uh, Thorns of Life, which was, um, uh, uh, uh Daniela C was on base and Aaron Comet. bus, Aaron, Aaron Comet bus, fucking crimp shrine. You yes. Know, and um, and gunpowder. Yes. Uh, great set. And we go, we walk up to Blake and I'm drunk and just, uh, I'm drunk cause I'm nervous cause I'm awestruck. And I say to Jonah, who's also drunk, should I, should I show him my jawbreaker tattoo? Jonah does the right thing and says, yes, you should. <laughs> And we did. And it creeped Blake out. <laughs> and he, he, was, he, he didn't know what to do. And then Jonah immediately, whipped smart, sobered up instantly and did what any good wingman would do started talking guitars
2: but not too sober not i i was <sighs> drunk enough to steal the set list off to steven's like there's a set list on the wall and i was like yep <laughs> <laughs> grabbed it off the wall like i owned it handed it to steven and then i felt like aaron or someone was looking for it after the set and i pretended that it never happened yeah <laughs> so sorry <laughs> yeah. about that guys
0: sorry but, uh, i still naive. have it do you want it back you don't get it it's mine um, so this is just such a huge deal. Uh, we did something we've never done for the show and we, sh- I think we should do more. We solicited our dear friends who also know worship Blake as much as we do. And they sent in questions. So I had my best friend from high school who got me in a jawbreaker. Um, our, our wonderful friend, Trevor Kelly, yes, uh, David Lewis, who used to run riot act media, sending some questions. So thank you guys for doing that. And, um, don't worry we we cut out all the part which was just me gushing and gushing over blake yeah we just, learned
2: our lesson from that
0: show yeah <laughs> do not like be cool be cool be cool be cool <laughs> Be, cool. be cool. uh blake <laughs> <It's going on! laughs>
2: so what what kind of prompted you kind of moving to new
3: york Really just the the like ashen rubble of Jawbreaker and the kind of scene in the mission in, in 96. I had this, I think right, right is a strong word. I had a kind of strong intuition or intimation that if I stayed, I was going to become a speed addict, bike messenger. Like there was so much sadness in that town and people's, I think bands were kind of spiraling at that point, you know there was the feeding frenzy and all this kind of upheaval where that line between underground and public music got thrown around so much, so basically, I just got scared and I was like, if I don't move out of here, i'm gonna die and uh I went out I had friends in Brooklyn and I came out to visit and found an apartment really quickly like. And I've lived there ever since. <laughs> since 97, I've been in the same apartment in uh, Kensington, Brooklyn, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, now I have enjoyed the distinction of being the most, the only and the most famous MC from Kensington. I'm boasting. If there's any other spitters out there, they should come to me and we can talk. But I think I've got the title right now.
0: Mm-hmm. What is, what's your MC name?
3: OCD. Mm-hmm. Original Count Dracula. <laughs> I heard or your... Chris Logger, like he produces, <laughs> you know, people thought I'd eradicate him because I changed back on Facebook, but they're still out there. <laughs> Villains.
2: I heard your apartment has a lot of books in it.
3: It does. It has a lot of books yeah. and a lot of records and paintings. But not a lot of food, sadly. <laughs> There's not a lot of like bread or milk. When, when did OCD start? Well, I think I probably from childhood for me, you know, I was, I was a, a lonely child who drew a lot <laughs> and counted things. Try Sesame Street, which is the origin of OCD. Basically, mm-hmm. original Count Dracula. You know the Count. Like that's the original gangster mm-hmm. producer. Think about it. All he does is just count and gets off on numbers and beats. Mm-hmm. Jerry Nelson, RIP. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And Christopher Lager. When did that start?
3: I don't. Well, so I guess, I guess last year really they they went. I you know i needed to I think I needed to uh take a step out of Blakeland because I had all this <laughs> kind of fake celebrity through face face and stuff, <laughs> and I wasn't enjoying any of the f- the fruits of it, like no one was giving me sex or beer or mm. property you know mm. i get it, and i don't love swag verse the swagverse makes me ill mm.
1: Yeah. so you know free beer and free sex much better than swag
3: that seems more lasting than a handbag and a you know a hand job seems a little more enduring than a um ipod
1: hand ba- hand jobs over handbag. hold on Can possible book
3: titles and album names. <laughs> hand job over beautiful
2: <laughs> i mean what's it like sort of having people especially like sort of like what happened here earlier i mean sort of having so many people say you're their favorite musician or is that something that's become easier to deal with or is that still strange or does it make you uncomfortable or what's that sort of like for you?
3: No, I I like it. I mean, it's nice to, I think some, some knowledge of the writing that I've done has settled into a a more broader kind of catalog. So now when people talk to me, half of them say jets and some even say this forgetter stuff or thorns of life stuff, you know, like they're just all, songs that I've done with different people and in different band configurations. But I like I like the idea selfishly that there's a through line that's me. That the the eye is, you know, coming from a specific place. So when people like people who like songs tell me they like my songs, I'm stoked. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs>
0: is anyway, that is that what led to the Blake Schwarzenbach tour?
3: A a, a real wild set of circumstances <laughs> has both made me and left me standing up there alone, like an American champion. <laughs> but I won't say it was like I wanted to go out alone. I'll uh, say that a you know, ended God up in His infinite dark <laughs> wisdom decided that Blake should definitely be alone for a while.
0: And now, how did that turn into the uh, the kind of storyteller's vibe you have on the show? Because every time I saw you in every incarnation of bands that you've been in you know, you have a great way of talking with the crowd and, you know, stories kind of come out through the songs. And then you would tell stories short, long, in between sets. But this seems like just an embrace of that kind of, you know, almost tall tale folklore vibe of standing on stage.
3: Yeah. Honestly, you know, a friend of uh, our band, Lance Hahn, who was the singer of Cringer and J Church, passed away a few years ago. And it was a really big deal in our kind of community because he was this tireless guy who just just played and wrote and played and he turned me on to morrissey and like i mean way back you know and like he just had great records super chunk cheap trick for crying out loud i actually already knew them (laughs) but he he got me into them again you know (laughs) and just a great audiophile and uh he used to say this thing whenever we play together with jawbreaker he would always say shut up and play to me he would scream it and people would crack up because i'm a little (laughs) long-winded So that became this kind of positive, you know, uh, cat call at Jawbreaker shows. Because there's old Blake again, like, going like, you know, it reminds me of this time when we were uh, <laughs> running from the police in Florida at a Gators Expo, and then someone will just be like, bivouac, you know, you have to go <laughs> like, right, I'm like, let's rock.
2: I was at the show with Matt at the Coco 66 show you played kind of recently, and I thought the interactions with you and the crowd were so great, and it was so, like, kind of committed, to the whole thing. I mean, do you like kind of having that kind of back and forth or kind of, I like that you oh, kind yeah. of reprimanded people who are kind of being rude too. I don't know. I feel like there's no accountability sometimes for the crowd.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know why, what changed in me. I hid from it for years. And then I think I kind of had one of those network moments where I opened up my window and was just like, this, these are all lies. You know, the idea that you have to be aloof at a show or that you're not a participant because you paid 15 bucks or whatever. And, you know, I just... There's so much awfulness out there that to see it happening at, at live music events also, like reproducing that misery, I wanted, kind of wanted to get back in the game just to say, like, shows can be anything you say they are it's like if you've got a hundred people in a room and no one's being you know hurting anyone like that's kind of the discord spirit that i remember when they would just just really change the the protocol in the room that they had for those 50 minutes or whatever you know fugazi shows where people would be freaking out because like what's what's that guy doing he's just dancing and swinging his arm around <laughs> and it, it, I think it really opened people's minds up a little bit.
0: I also liked how uh, Fugazi lights up. Like, we want to see the crowd. It is it is a shared experience. Yeah. And so there was no tweaking and anything like that. Oddly enough, the only other time I'd ever seen that before Fugazi was I went to a John Cougar Mellencamp show. Same thing. Had the lights up on the whole arena the entire time. And that was just how he did it. And he would pull people up on stage. It was very odd. And then when I saw Fugazi for the first time... It was like that <laughs> i had no one to look to and go this is like that john mellencamp show oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay fair enough yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: well but, he's a painter mm-hmm, he's and, a painter i mean he seems like a really creative person who's been who's thought of kind of pejorative to pejoratively because he has these great hits that everyone loves but there's like clearly a much broader experience in you know mellencamp's world i mean he paints like who doesn't we can't love that when did you start painting really when i was a kid i i read a lot of uh picture books i mean kids books but also my dad and i read Tintin together and that was kind of like i would be left alone with stacks of Tintin books and i would draw as i call it like, <laughs> drawing was a huge part of my loneliness and like company read only child yeah oh wow yeah in Berkeley, in the late sixties, so i wasn 't alone in the sense that people came in and out of our house a lot. It was a very chaotic kind of almost collective but private and neurotic house. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad is an architecture student at Berkeley, and my mom was being a mom at eighteen. He was nineteen, I think so mm-hmm. They None of us knew what we were doing. That's yeah. what we've agreed on that. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we, were all, we were all trying very hard, but no one had any kind of script in that moment. You yeah, remember
0: my mother saying, it tw- she said, when when my mom was 23 when she had me, and she said they were considered so old to have kids. Yeah. <laughs> how old? My mom was 23 when I was born. Oh, I right. considered by her friends at the time, like, what, why don't you, well, you're so old. What's going on? I haven't you had a kid yet. This, of course, <laughs> was in the South in the early 70s. So, yeah. Yeah, nine, mine
1: was 19. Yeah. In Indiana, as
0: we were talking about.
1: Yep. <laughs> I'm almost 30.
3: Yeah, right yeah. on. The clock is ticking. I know, I know. Now I'm get almost, on it, I'm lock it down, and build it up.
0: That's why, you, that's why you are so much more well-adjusted. <laughs> oh, yeah, so well-adjusted.
2: <laughs> so when did Sort of Play Music start for you?
3: It really, uh, It I think it started in a living room because... We had music in the house so much, and my parents were trying to be different. They were trying to change their lives. They'd run away from Pasadena, California, and they're kind of thrown into this, we're going to have a kid, and we're both just starting to find out who we are. So, And they were you know, hippies, more or less, although I don't think they would ever call themselves that. But as a result, there was this huge record collection and it was just constantly like Beatles, Stones, birds, a lot of that California country western. My dad was really into
0: and like Bakersfield stuff, like Buck Owens. And-
3: I don't know if he was that finessed, but oh. uh, Flying Burrito Brothers oh, yeah. and definitely, um, yeah, I don't know. Just he just liked he liked country western and kind of cowboy music and thought that was he just thought that was cool and of course as a kid you're like that is cool (laughs) you know these guys singing about like wastelands and heartache and stuff and they they look cool the suits were really colorful so I just color color and sound were kind of my childhood and then I, I just kept loving music like middle school I got into the new wave and I was living in Portland with my dad and I bought a Wipers seven inch because I read a I read a review in the local paper that they had this. It was like a you know you should get this. It's Portland's favorite new band.
0: How old were you when you read a review? Uh, seventh grade. See, I wouldn't even know what that was in seventh grade. My, my reviews were my friends going, dude, just put that down and listen to Minor Threat. Like that was those reviews
3: for me. Yeah, it's great well, that we, you had the. We had that too.
0: Yeah, but of course, you had the forethought to look in the to read see something in the paper about a
3: band. That's amazes me at seventh grade i think they had a good weekly even back then Mm -hmm. which would have been like 81 or two or something i don't know what year it was but i really do remember reading one of those free weeklies you know and (laughs) there being this picture and thinking like wipers i don't know what that is i didn't like it like when i got the record i played a couple times and was like that's boring it's (laughs) like really dark and you know at seventh grade mind i wanted like blondie i yeah. just listened to blondie and acdc and pat benatar and like i'd go to those concerts
0: <laughs> and so your dad was in portland and so your parents they'd split up and you traveled in between
3: uh yeah well yeah pretty much i'd go yeah i moved to colorado and then my mom uh moved and lives in nova scotia so then i was going to canada cross country and then but basically living with my dad
1: we're in nova scotia
3: well, originally Halifax, wow. but now they're they have farming down in, um it's near New Germany, or Bridgewater, so it's, it's kind of the south shore. You go up there a lot? Oh, yeah.
1: It's so freaking gorgeous. It is. It's like Europe. You ever been up there? Nope. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. But Halifax is a pretty crazy town. I spent it, a few nights there. Yes. Just Yeah, I did a motorcycle trip up through Nova Scotia one time, and
3: it's just Did you shocked. go to Cape Breton? Did you go all the way up?
1: We went up to Prince Edward Island, yeah. Oh, cool. Went up and took the ferry across, I think. And I think there's a bridge now. This was like, this was like, Jesus, a while ago. This is like 15, 16 years ago. But yeah, I always thought, what a great place to go back to. Plus it was the middle of the summer and it was like cold.
3: <laughs> yeah, the ocean does not warm up there. Yeah. I mean, you go to the beach, it'll be really hot outside. Yeah, But you, the water is ice. Like to me, you're being a California kid, you know, year round, it's, you got to commit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. hey, you know you don't go in the water. And that and water's just- not <laughs> warm either in California, so that must be freezing up there.
3: It's cold, and these kids, they go surfing. Like my sister's friends, the, these boys in high school would like be listening to the surf report at first period <laughs> and ditch out in like February <laughs> with, you know, three-quarter inch suits on. They would go out and, and surf. Really? Yeah. That's, That's like dedication.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to paddle and wait. Yeah. As, as much as, I lo- I have a number of friends who surf and they're like, "Man, once you get hooked on it." I'm like, "Nah, I don't think it's going to happen." Actually,
1: Dino, our guest, yeah. the other day used to do it here. He would he would go out in sometimes in the winter and like just he'd be he'd, he'd have ice on on him like in his hair and stuff.
0: No, nah, I'd avoid that. <laughs> avoid that forever. He's like, "It's great, man. There's nobody there." <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, oh. yeah.
0: <laughs> now, didn't you live in LA for a while
3: mm-hmm. as a kid? Yeah, I went to high school in L.A. Mm-hmm. Well, I like to say Santa Monica, because oh. we lived in Venice Beach. And uh, yeah, I took the bus to uh, a very popular school. Which school? I, I don't want to say it really, because I kind of <laughs> hate them. Okay. They're, like, they're a preparatory academy in uh, Santa Monica. Where, like they, They're kind of a star grinder. Uh, I got it. Although that said, because this is on air probably, I had some of the best teachers there. Um, it was a great school in one sense, but it was also a very weird wake-up call because I kind of came out of Portland, which was a little more low-key, and then it was like famous people's kids and high-end, high-thinking academics, but also there was just this like Beverly Hills aspect that was wild. Like, yeah. A lot of cocaine cowboys, if you know That's what i That's why I was
0: asking because I used to be a, a sub in LAUSD and taught all around the LA area. But those schools were very specific. They weren't part of that.
3: They were very specific. I was wondering if it was a public school. Well, you know, we used to battle. I mean, we were the... When I say we, I mean me and two, four other people were (laughs) punks. At that school, we'd go to shows, and, you know, we were really into it. And you have to meet the other punks in your town. So there was, like, the uni, University High, where Darby went. Like, the uni punks hated us. They were like, you know, fucking trust fund, like bullshit motherfucker <laughs> gonna wail on you like it was gnarly and you you'd have to like kind of connect with them you go to enough shows and they'd be like all right he's cool you know
0: but didn't wouldn't not that school like based on like scientology and some weird educational program uni
3: yeah had, i think it was a public high school wasn't yeah but it? they
0: started tweaking it i remember reading stuff about the germs and how they weren't were some part of there was they were experimenting with something that was like hubbard based this could be all speculation and maybe i read a review of the movie that never came out <laughs> but although i did see shane west recently i wanted to ask him if he still had the darby tattoo which is a stupid thing to ask you know you I mean? my
3: friend directed that film really we went to he went to the celebrity high school the director of what we do is secret well now we're gonna so you go. Yeah. Oh, full, that's why they have that blue circle on the oh, thing. I get it. <laughs> again. Maybe that was the Hubbardness.
0: Oh, that makes sense.
3: <laughs> All coming together. The ring is landing. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: was it like seeing seeing the germs? Kind of.
3: I I never did. You never actually. did. Derby was old. Well, yeah. I guess they they yeah. I just heard about it. In I moved there between eighth and ninth grade to Venice. Okay. And my neighbor was ended up being one of my best friends, this crazy little drummer, skateboarder guy, took me to see um, The Decline of Western Civilization, which was premiering at that point. So it was a great like, instant education. I was just like, this, 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 and it was all kind of, had just happened right, in the area. Right, you were in it, man. I think it was right after, yeah, it it already happened because it was so combustible. But at least you had
1: like a reference point, you know?
3: It helped. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then yeah, I would go see shows of the living artists, you know, that were doing that. And um, I don't know, it was great. You know, it was it was scary. Like yeah, you'd be near to you in close proximity to people you thought were amazing or famous. And like Mike Watt, you know, I just that was the coolest guy for me because he was so welcoming to people and like he was kinda Uncle Mike. To us, it was like the guy you could go up and talk to and be like, "Hey, kid, how you doing?" And you're like, "Oh, cool." He's like actually friendly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love on every documentary that dude's in. He's driving a van. Yeah, it's so funny.
0: Everything. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing.
3: You Can't stop. Yeah, can't you, stop. You, you, they're gaining. You know, you got to keep keep pounding.
0: And he's still that nice and cool. Like I, I, the benefit of like interviewing Iggy Pop once, and he was just hanging out because he's a stooge, and he's just literally hanging out after a show in a bathrobe. Just outside, Mike Watt. My wife was a booking agent and the, uh, her boss represented him. And he would always, call, tells this story about, it. he would always call and she would pick up the phone. He would never say hello. He would just go, what? <laughs> and then the agency got a little bit bigger. So they had to have, all the calls were routed through a receptionist, not going direct to the agent's. And she would have to explain to this poor young intern receptionist that when you hear a man screaming on the phone, just transfer him to Steve, to Mike Watt, because he just could never figure it out. They also handled Jay Mascus, and she said she knew he was calling because it was just silence.
3: Very quiet. Feedback. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I want to have that relationship with my talent buying agency, Mm -hmm. where I just want a metal alert (laughs) bracelet, and I just tap it. (laughs) <laughs> Some green light would go off at the office and they'd be like, oh no, it's O C D like there would be a red light for O C D Chris would be blue because he's cool. And then Blake would be kind of vague. <laughs> I love these like Maxwell Demon Sasha Fierce
0: characters that the personas rather that have crept up out of
3: Blake's brain. <laughs> yeah, well you know, I listen to a a lot of hip hop and like the way personality proliferates with mm-hmm. Doom or like artists that just completely blow my mind is in writing and in improvisation Mm -hmm. you know many of these guys have 40, 50 characters going and they're all putting out records Mm -hmm. and like if you really I think if you're in your sink or if you're in your space of artistry where you're just like it's just flying out of me it's great to create a few personalities and kind of corral it or let let it really Mm -hmm. you you know use it when it's happening because it'll go away I think that's my fear always is the music is going to dry up any second. (laughs) Really? And none of my personas are going to be able to write.
0: (laughs) Do you use those personas when you write now for stuff? like, Or rather, did you use them for, say, Forgetters or Thorns stuff?
3: It, It felt like those were steps towards... Like, I think Thorns, to me, felt... It was such a fun band in terms of just like, oh, it's easy to just plug and play. You know, we were very... We didn't have much in the way of resources, but there was, I had a bunch of songs and Aaron and Daniela were just like, I mean, just the energy was like, let's just play because they're good songs and we can, we don't have to think about it too much.
0: Where do we see them?
2: Crown? Some, some weird house show, Crown, yeah. really far into Brooklyn.
0: Yeah. And by them we mean you. And it was yes. the, uh, the opening act was a cat killing a mouse on the drum kit. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. We are I have photos of it
3: oh yeah Oh yeah. yeah! they had some wild cats though yeah. <laughs> yes. and and rats mice <laughs> that
0: was an amazing show because it really took me back to college where you'd see a show in a basement which has just always been my favorite kind of thing not as like uh, punk stuff whatever but there was just this room where i went to school this basement that like dave matthews played and then the next week fugazi played and then nation played and then bikini kill played it was just this we're sitting in it now this small of a space and that show really like took me back and it was I don't know, something i'd missed i remember leaning up against the wall and realizing i shouldn't have touched that wall and now my elbow is contaminated you <laughs> yeah know, totally kind of...
3: i felt the same way at that show honestly <laughs> no really because i think and now that you're saying it i feel like somewhere along the way when everything got kind of professionalized and monetized in alternative mm-hmm. like the the space where people could you, you were in charge of your show like house shows or backyard shows or ramp shows, you know, for a kid, that's so exciting. You're like, I can, like, do what I want in the space. And now it's so guided, you know, the club, you get in, you get shaken down, you have Mm -hmm. to buy stuff, drinks or whatever. And that's great. If it's, you know, it's nice to have a good sound system, but I feel like the idea that, oh, wait, we could just do a show and our friends could come and then other people will come and, that happens Mm -hmm. you know that's what i i found out of that Mm -hmm. in thorns we did a lot of those and i was like oh it's still going on that network exists and people just keep reinventing it because they're so disgusted by what's on offer
2: right Mm -hmm. but you also had to like work for it like it's like you had to find out about the show and someone had to tell you and then you had to sit in the train for an hour and then i feel like you kind of value the experience more it's not just going into a club yeah
3: definitely
0: it was like every Fugazi show if you live in Northern Virginia because they never advertised and you always had to hear it from someone and then spend five hours waiting in a park for nothing because it was up the street and your friend was a moron. Not that that happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk.
2: <laughs> and then we saw that show where you guys played in an art gallery. It's really small. Our friend, I'm friends Elk. with Sherry who you, I think you went to school NYU oh, yeah. with and she yeah. told me about it and I went with her and she has all these old like she's like check out these seven inches and she has all these really old original Jawbreaker
3: seven inches yeah yeah, she's, she's my lady yeah she's she took awesome. me to see Paul Weller oh really nice who I'd never seen like the show? Nokia. it was great yeah but then, then she was like let's go backstage and say hi to Paul and I was like I'm not going back there <laughs> like they have a relation they're friends and it's like and, I, and she was like you're coming with me so I sat on the couch and just like looked at the water on the floor while she visited and I was like let's get out of here Go. <laughs> I wouldn't want m- me backstage at my show if I didn't know me. You know what I mean? I just felt like totally intrusive. He was there, looking great. Like
1: I'm, I'm the same way with shows like that. You know, the backstage thing. I'm half drawn to it, half like
0: I don't want to bother these people. You know, a, f- a friend of mine put it that he 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 ended up backstage at a show recently. Our friend Jimmy at a Justin Timberlake show, and he just kind of drunkenly ended up backstage, and he was, and he has been dealing with bands his whole life, and he said, some, like a, one of Justin's people came out and saw the crowd that he was standing with and looked at him. And he went, and I saw the way he was looking at me. And I've been him looking at me going, <laughs> who's that guy? Mm-hmm. So I left because I don't want to be that guy. And I totally understand. I've been in that same situation where it's like, let's go backstage. And you're like, I've been backstage and it's very boring. And there's, I want to go watch the show. You know when it's you fun know. is when you can take some a newbie. Yeah.
1: Like it's South by this year. I took Aaron to the uh, the to Dave Grohl's.
0: Uh, oh, Sound City.
1: Yeah, and and like you know, we came in the door and and they gave us these passes that had triple A on them. And Aaron's like, triple A, what does that mean? And I go, you know, like all access. And he's like, yeah. I go, this is the next level. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we can go anywhere. <laughs> and like at this point, Stevie Nicks was on stage, and I'm like. You can go up on stage if you want, and he he totally didn't believe me. I could see in his eyes. He's like, whatever. I hope he's thinking. I hope we can just get a few free drinks. So I just you know, next well, thing you know, you he's really backing in the anyway. yeah. yeah, Exactly. Backstage.
3: There's no other reason to be backstage if you don't know yeah. the band than to get free drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah.
2: I agree. Mm-hmm. Have and the, you ever thought about doing?
0: I'm sorry, Brad. We, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> have, you ever,
1: have
2: you ever considered doing stand-up comedy or anything like that?
0: You did refer to yourself as the Steve Martin of indie rock.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know comedy is such a beguiling thing to me you know I, I don't like a lot of what American comedy has come to be in the last 10 years maybe um it's not a culture I'm familiar with um I do have friends who do it who I really like and I like their act like I think it can be coherent and intelligent. And, like, even if it's kind of random, that's when that's when comedy died in America, when random took over. It was just like, I'm just going to do 40 different gags and see if I can... You overwhelm somebody with random, and they're like, this is so random. <laughs> that became, like, an act unto itself. And I, I found it really alienating because the world was completely caving in, but everyone was just like, do you ever notice... Hmm. I don't yeah. know the terms, but... The situationalist, this situationalists, mm-hmm. people and all that
0: do you see that i see that too what if you thought about it this way that observational seinfeldian there, type
3: thing? yeah that and then but then it just got pushed right the people just pushed it past irony like irony was completely eviscerated so it came to mean not the opposite of the intended claim but something different like something hateful i'm I'm going a little out afield here, but I feel like comedy became very hateful to me. I was violent like and it wasn't a, like because it was talking about blood or guns or guts, it was about petty you know petty dating complaints. <laughs> it was just like people just bitching and moaning and, and like let's yeah, let's hate on these people and let's hate on these people, and don't you hate these people and I'm that person. And it's true like there we are a there's a generation of robots who've taken over the major cities in America and the major industries. You know these 26-year-old tweakers who like they can only do social media and they can only speed date and they can only speed dial. And I, if I it's going to take stand up to like battle the robots I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm a reluctant warrior though. You know I got a music career. I'm trying to, I'm trying to take care of music and like I can't be doing the comedy too.
2: <laughs> i just thought the last show was so it was so funny to me like it was the, the show was great but all the stuff i felt like some people got in some people didn't but i felt like all the stuff with the music stand and the tuning like that stuff to me i was so
3: entertained by good well you're who i want at the shows and
2: well yeah i felt like the vibe some people were like oh get on with it and i was like no this is like this is like a committed thing and like i like i i was i don't know i got really invested in it
3: <laughs> cool yeah I've, it's interesting because on this i just did this repeatedly for like three weeks And I'd think the show was going great. And then afterwards, someone would come up and say, yeah, I really liked your show. And I was like, thanks. And I did too. And they're like, yeah, I'm sorry everyone didn't like it. Like, I don't think they got it. (laughs) So I was thinking the room was like, I was like, oh, I got this one. I'm doing great because I was doing a lot of this kind of between stuff, which was actually the content for me in a way. It's like you just get to see what it is to make a show. You know, I don't call it deconstruction or anything. I'm actually that slow and clumsy and, like, <laughs> I need time if you want to do it properly. But I wanted to share that with audiences. Like, bands, they're not magic. I mean, they don't. You have to tune and you have to, like, plug things in and, you know, remember words. and So it was, it was a real experiment.
2: Yeah I thought it was cool, And obviously, like I'm sure there's people in the audience have expectations like, "Oh, I want to hear this song, I want to hear this song." So I thought it was cool to be like, "This is
3: what you get. This is my thing.: It's DJing, I think. Yeah. I just play what I have in my bag, and literally, like the song lyrics I have, because I'm doing so much new stuff that I, can't, I don't want to try and memorize them exactly, although I'm sure they're in here but i use a, i now use as you saw a music stand and a lighting system <laughs> that's really working on my lighting that's the problem with the show is i need a dedicated lights coming right down on the lyrics so that any you know any house system can't mess me up like i've got my own light box
0: just get your book light man from sky mall i want one of those just jam it right up there
3: the price of his toys or whatever yes it's at a,
0: it's yeah. Next to the giant sumo table, which I sadly
3: own, I think I'm going to do a Kickstarter for a booklight. You should, you should. Uh, my I target would donate is going to be it. like twenty nine eighty five. I think you got it. We're yeah. in, and the the reward is a is a booklight yeah. that I'll sign. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Blake's booklight. Thank you for your four dollar <laughs> contribution. <laughs>
1: As long as it's not the ones with those little like watch batteries in them,
3: because no. I hate those things. No, this actually and I have ha-
1: a book light with those. Oh, yeah. And I, you
0: know, you can't no, replace This has replace a plug with three prongs that you have to plug in for the book light. That's an important book Oh, light.
3: really? <laughs> yeah, that's
0: what I want. 120 volts. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> with an adapter for European books. Because <laughs> they're bigger. No, I'll, I'll like tell you what's
3: really cool in an anti-gravity universe is to get two tech 12s, throw them up, you know? Turntables because they always have that gooseneck lamp on them. Yeah. So you just put those up and then you could spin because I like to play the but records. But in the
1: anti gravity universe, then the, the needle's not going to oh. fall against it.
3: Mm-hmm. True. Well, thanks, Dream Crusher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here goes that one. Get here, used here. to it, man. Brad always <laughs> crushing here, dreams. But we could
1: get here. We'll get well, here's what we'll do we'll get like a, a metallic slip mat. And then put a little magnet on the tone arm, and then the magnet will pull pull the needle
0: down. Yeah, but magnets can't pull anything in an anti-gravity universe because... What? No. Yeah, they can. Nope, not at all. If we're going to make up rules, that's what I did. (laughs) 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 We didn't make
1: up rules. (laughs) We're talking about something that's totally doable here. All right. Once you figure out how to make the gravity go away, I'm in. You just go up in the space shuttle or whatever.
0: I'm fine,
2: whatever. (laughs) I had had a question. Uh, This might be a little non-sequitur, but... I was from an, the anti <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I guess anything yeah, if you, is an I was reading an article recently. You were talking about social media and kind of this younger generation, and uh, they were saying the technological innovations are all towards connecting people and less about like, like whatever hoverboards or flying cars or whatever. It's all kind of socially based. I mean, and you've had an interesting relationship with social media as well. I mean, how how do you feel about Social media in general, do you think it's a positive or
3: negative thing? What's your relationship like with it? I just think it's a wild wild, I call it a particle accelerator. Cuz I feel like it's a, a, a you know a, a super collider or something where you, there's so much information going so quickly in so many directions and the messaging and the advertising is so extreme. For me, it being like a TV was probably the worst thing I knew up till the internet, you know. Right. And I like to me, I experience it sometimes as kind of psychic violence, like being pounded by pornography or abs builders, and then even sicker to me because I love good porn. I have no problem with that. what i don't what was really pornographic to me is young people branding themselves for dating or for their band or for their company, these robots from Stern School of Business at n y u you know all those people, you know what I mean like n y u people who are just like. Hashtagging the fucking shit out of everything, and like, I'm just a brand, and why don't you come brand with me, and we could brand together? We'll have a little brandy, and then we'll we'll rebrand, and I'll do anal, and it'll be great. <laughs> and then and then I'll never see you again. You know, it's like it is not connective. I think it's like kind of wildly d- destructive and disjointive. Do you or- think we're
2: gonna see repercussions like down the road with this stu- kind of culture, like people who came up with it
3: who don't know how to relate to each other? <laughs> we're in it, yeah. No, that's why I call them droids or robots. I meet these people at shows sometimes. Mostly not at my shows, though. Music people tend to be a little more coherent. And arguably, we could have an aesthetic discussion about that. I mean, it could be, I think, drums, actually, are like, the through line of music keeps you calm and sane. You know, when I, I'm i sure you guys may feel this way. When you get stressed out, like, you go to your headphones or you, or home, ideally to your speakers, and just put on like a really cool record, and you're kind of like, okay, I can feel my pulse slowing down. Now I can remember where my keys are, <laughs> where my wallet is. Like once the I'm in my groove.
0: Yeah, I mean, see with children, jeez, oh yeah, you know, oh god. But I like that's the first thing to go for: throw drums in front of them and let them pound it and calm mm-hmm. down. And then they just chill out because it's energy they want to get out because they don't know what to do. But yeah, even you talked about like the thumb generation now. Yeah, kids. Kids, kids who like ringing the doorbell with their thumb. Kid, oh, really?
1: Like everybody. Like if you, if you were to go ring the doorbell, you'd go like that, right? They go like this.
3: Yeah. Index versus thumb.
0: Yeah. It is pretty fascinating.
3: Yeah, it's a mutate. I mean, I think we're in a mute, mutant <laughs> era, in a way, like bodies and machines. I mean, this is what the cyberpunks guys were talking about which i always thought oh that's fancy that's that's imaginative Mm -hmm. you know but (laughs) it's kind of like a ballard universe yeah the singularity
2: is coming (laughs) yeah
0: that does trip me out because now at this point in my life where i look at all the you know the sci-fi and comics i read when i was younger and i'm like son of a bitch it's all hg wells you know it's like who you know predicted cell phones and uh scuba diving you know and it's the same pattern it's Bonkers.
2: Every time I start drinking I get in this conversation, I go I can hear myself going these rentals, I'm like, you don't understand, like artificial intelligence is gonna get smarter than us, and this is gonna be a real issue where we have to, can't stop innovation and they're gonna realize they're so much powerful than us, they're gonna turn against us. <laughs> it's gonna be like Battlestar Galactica, it's gonna happen in our lifetime, and everyone's just like Ugh. <laughs> But I think it's really true.
3: <laughs> well, I think what's more, more insidious to me is I think it's happening in the human body. Maybe that's what you're saying, but I feel like some of these kids are, like, so vacant and aggressive in their ambition. You know, these, like, ATM-addicted, like, Ritalin-addled clerks, bankers, bureaucrats, mid-level functionaries, you know, Stern School of Business.
0: It's not even Ritalin, it's fucking Adderall, because if there's a drug now that makes you focus on one thing over and over again and you can't focus normally because there's so many options you know mm-hmm. there's like if you any kind of you get new information from a tweet you know it's the same part of your brain that's you know stimulated from you know drugs you know it's any kind of um it's an endorphin rush so it's like ooh, something new something new uh, what uh the comedian Dana Gould has a great line of he said i used to wake up in the morning and when i have breakfast and now sadly i have this thing in my mind of what i miss and I shouldn't be that way. Oh, that's so st- It's awful. And he's, like, and he's like, I don't want to be that way. I have children. I want to hang out with them. But because I'm Ugh. doing the thing, yeah, trying I think to that's, figure it that's out. That's
3: like really the haunting yeah. of this country. I mean, I feel it. I'm haunted. But part of inadvertently or inexplicably like forgetters as a project, all I do is write about the terrible events of whatever date. And ever since then, everybody has been trying to remember what it was like to be free. We weren't free before the terrible events of whatever, you know, when those things happen. But that's became this real like line in the sand of memory where people are like, "It it was great and then it was terrible. And New York has this like very interesting way of dividing time. And so I think that's affected by all this technology the way technology affects memory, and certainly the way media controls or organizes collective memory. You know, they can just... I mean, the New York Times can just write the narrative and pound on it for a couple of weeks, and it's law. Right. It's like what well, we know, because they're the most citable, you know, the most But is rigorously- it different
1: than it... But is, see, you know, see, I'm the guy that says that a lot of these things have been around forever. I mean, the newspapers definitely were a hell of a lot less free a hundred years ago, or even maybe... 60 years ago you know
0: they were controlled by a few people that had an agenda um washington post was owned by one woman forever yeah you know but i don't know how much she dictated of what was going on wow in the content you know what i mean hearst obviously did yeah that's true Yeah.
3: yeah i don't think i agree with you i mean i think this is time immemorial as they once said but it's become more exaggerated, maybe it's just my age where i'm I'm noticing it i'm more I'm more concerned about the record you know, like I want historical justice right. in my lifetime <laughs> i want I want to be able to just say like this is apartheid, like right. look at it, and everybody admit it. get down on the mat, the New York Times and say the occupation of the west bank and gaza is straight up apartheid. Oh, yeah. You know, we're all in the room and it's been going on for our whole lives and they nobody, still won't say it. Yeah, nobody
1: you know, will name it because that it would is. be
3: unobjective to <clears throat> call apartheid apartheid, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be un- that would be unfair to the other side. And yeah. that kind of commitment to total deference is just like
0: it is it is bothersome when it seems everyone is strewn into the gray area and won't, you know, call a spade a spade. That happens in this country constantly and throughout the world and it's, it's, well, we we want to tread lightly. And I'm like, I just long for someone to tread very loudly.
3: Yeah. That's why I play, you know, music is the best place to do that and not because it's like apolitical or anything. It's just, that's how I calm down. I can get worked up if I talk about what's going on in the world and people seem to like to talk about this stuff all the time and get themselves really ramped up. You know, and then so how do you come down from that? That's kind of the question, and in, in being alive for me.
1: Well, it can be released for that, but it can also be an escape for that. You know, like you can go to somebody else's show and forget your troubles for a while.
0: You know, oh god, that's, I love that moment. Where no matter how bummed I was I, when I used to go to shows, <laughs> um, <laughs> like that was—I always had this moment of forgetting everything while you know a good band was playing or a good yeah. song that came on—and it's something that. It's weird. I remember one of our friends, when we were first talking about music, she was like, you are a music person. I went, what do you mean? She went, you know what I mean. (laughs) And it's like a weird collective, which is why we all got into this to begin with. It's the original straight
3: edge when you think about it. (laughs) You know, people got all sweaty about edge and stuff, (laughs) but it's like music people are, that's an edge of its unto itself Mm -hmm. of like you're either in the music, the living music world Mm -hmm. or you're about to be, or you never will be. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to spin that into some hardline thing.
2: <laughs> if you're not now, you never were, man.
3: Yeah,
0: if you're not now, you never were. Oh god, they used to have straight edge shirts that said that. I know. Norman <laughs> Brandon said that to me two weeks ago.
3: <laughs> I remember. You know, the best forgetting everything moment I had when I moved to New York in '97 um, or '98. Unwound played at the Cooler. That place? <laughs> the Cooler,
1: yeah, dude. I remember the meatpacking district. Yeah, yeah, yeah
3: they played like it was a cmj thing or something and i knew them you know we were friends from the west coast and i was so lost like my band was over i just moved to new york i was going to be a writer that was my fantasy like i i applied for internships at all the major literary journals and and it's like i'm just going to be a writer man i hate music you know (laughs) who wouldn't after like nirvana and that fiasco of you know people dying and uh, so I was like, I'm going to do something sane, like move to New York and work at a magazine. <laughs> little bit, <did laughs> I know that was nuts. Because that industry doesn't correlate at all with being <laughs> sane. That's yeah. not sleazy. Oh, <laughs> no, God. So, I, yeah, and I was really stressed out and they came and I, I went to the show and I sat behind, on the stage, like behind, um, I guess behind Justin's guitar amp and the whole floor. So it had this like fourth component of just like floor, you know, ash shaking and they got into I should know the song but I can't think of it at the moment but they got into one of their jams where I was like I just started fucking crying and fell apart and no one could see it because I was behind the amp (laughs) it was a really dark stage and it was utterly and I mean this in the sense of theater cathartic like I came out of that show so mellow and just like I'm going to be listening to this record a lot this year obviously I need to go back to the space and like do some time (laughs) But it was also just like a bodily, you know, like the great thing about intense, hardcore music, I would almost call it, without it having to be fast or anything, is that it can be physically cathartic. Like your body just kind of melts in the noise or the, you know, the ecstatic volume.
0: It's funny to watch, you know, because as a big fan, you know, seeing you from Jawbreaker up through, you know, all incarnations, like the journeyman aspect of your artistic career. And it's just, because I remember when I first heard about Jets, which was uh, literally, it just happened on the internet, some website. I was like, what the, you immediately call my friends. He's got a new band. Wait, what spins around and then um, various tours and things got to see it. But then to see that go away and then wait for a while, you know, um, what's he doing? Oh, I think he's teaching. Wait, what, you know, and you hear things throughout. So how did you know, through each incarnation of a group that it was over
3: that the group was over yeah uh i don't know i just think you have to call it sometimes you know if you feel like you're not new ideas aren't happening or i mean sometimes it was just very pragmatic like someone's moving out of town you're like well we're not going to do this band with a ringer like we're not going to hire someone to come in and you can't do that i think in a fully integrated band where it's like it's hard to replace people, um, so sometimes I would self-evacuate. <laughs> you know, I'd fire myself, or I don't know. I just I and I maybe I I think my some bandmates have thought like you you left too soon. Like we could do a lot more, and I'm totally sympathetic to that. But I I have to stay alive as like a person and a writer too. And if it feels like people just aren't really loving it or contributing to it or if it becomes a job like i think it's it can be kind of deadly and i I never want to put out a record where it's like oh that's the one they just had the obligation record you know is forgetter still happening we can't quite know at this point jim it seems Mm -hmm. that uh the ship is disabled and lost in the lunar orbit Mm -hmm. and she's limping along Mm. but i'm i'm going to beam myself ahead of europe this summer and just do a little uh shake and bake <laughs> <laughs> and by that I mean Blake will be over on the continent you know ringing bells in Germany and whatnot. Oh, the bell car a- a- thing acapella, I guess oh. so I'm gonna need Chris Lager and OCD there definitely as backup the three so of us are gonna go over there and teach them Germans how to live
0: it's about time so, so, so basically with the other guys you always have a band
3: in your head they got my back <laughs> yeah
0: one of your old <laughs> bandmates
2: recently cut my mom's hair yeah? Yeah. Chris Daly. Cut your mom's hair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a hairstylist now. That's amazing. Yeah, and she t- sent me a text message that was like, Chris from Texas is a Reason is cutting my hair. And I was like, that is a text I never thought I would get from my mom. How did she know who Texas is a Reason is? <laughs> There's
3: so many X's in that, I can't yeah. even believe it.
0: <laughs> um, uh, we want to do something now we've never done on the podcast, which is a giant hug. No, we'll do that later. But um, when uh, We found out you were coming. Uh, Joan and I reached out to our friends who are as diehard as we are for you and your work and said, send us some questions. And they did. Mm -hmm. So we have a a few that we wanted to to hurl out at you. One is, uh, the first one is uh, from my best friend from high school who I was at that show with in 93, who was like, we're going, okay, and changed everything. And he... uh, I had a very interesting question of uh, what are your thoughts on the university adjunct system versus tenure and how it speaks to a larger social culture? Because he was a teacher as well, and now I think he works for Amtrak.
3: If he, if he has three hours, I would love to do this. <laughs> I'll give you no, his but let number. Me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that they're both horrible systems. I think tenureship is just as bad as adjuncting, and it encourages the worst kind of academics. You know, it's just they're grade grubbers and suck-ups. I'm in that world a little bit. I'm about to be again. I'm doing a PhD. And I'll tell you the culture in academics is poisonous. Like, ideas aren't necessarily rewarded. They're often stolen by people who end up getting tenure. You know, there's so much unoriginal, coercive kind of scholarship of, oh, I just do this. Oh, I just do that. You have to brand, obviously, in order to get tenure. You need like a hot angle. And I've seen people just straight up steal theses, thesis ideas, because they're, they're lazy bureaucrats. And often that's who's going to end up with the corner office, because they're going to they're plug at it for years. Whereas creative, I'm liter, in mean literature. People who love language and are obsessive about language um, are probably going to get bored by that and go, you know what, maybe I'll go work at Amtrak. A lot of better mm. stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, who's going to write a novel about the inner workings of the university? And we've had that book. That's been the, the next interesting American novel for about 40 years. Yeah. We saw, saw Bellow probably finish that one or Philip Roth. Just, we didn't need it again. Because it's still the same system. Right. Be polite. Get along with your peers. Go to the faculty mixers. You don't know, shake it up. Don't shake, shake it. Just... Yeah, shake it up enough to get funding, but but definitely don't shake the tree. All
0: right. So and, it's it's a corporation there
3: that's ridiculous it's a yeah I don't know it, there's ways you can get fired that are very shocking I've seen people get untenured or let go and you' and there's no real law but it's but once it's done i don't know i i sound paranoid but I mean I've seen people just disappear like you thought this person was really a part of that community a great great teachers, and someone didn't like their politics let's say and it's like well he's not going to be coming back next year And you're just like but that was the most interesting teacher here yeah. what happened that's
1: that's what happened to my dad <clears throat> he used to teach college that's exactly so, what happened to him
3: and was it a something about his he attitude didn't get
1: tenure and it was because he was you know he was too liberal and just like whatever and a bunch of people actually quit along when he didn't get it other teachers just because they were fed up with the system
3: yeah Jesus. Well, now what I feel, though, is it's liberalism that runs the academy. And by that, I mean not necessarily progressive, but very status quo, kind of safe, centrist politics, right? which they call lefty. They're not. You know, if you, if you deviate from that track too much and you want to do too much work about an unpopular subject, there's no box office. There's no sex in it. Right? <laughs> so they're like, sorry, we can't keep you. Uh, people just don't seem to be interested in your project. that's that's like clintonian yeah you know right down the middle like that's not exciting and at higher education you should be excited you're paying you're not working so you can go there you know you think like shouldn't these be the best ideas Isn't that what the american university is about about our best ideas it's not now it's just about the 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 sure ideas sounds
0: like nascar uh bert thank you for kicking this off thanks Uh,
3: bert that was a beauty
0: Uh, this next one is from, uh, I believe you know this gentleman, Trevor Kelly.
3: I love this man. <laughs> yes, it's one of the few journalists I, I really like. Uh, Probably because he writes about me. It's true. <laughs> Thanks, true. Trev. <laughs> um, in your, um,
0: can your... you read it in Trevor's voice? Oh God, I can't. Can you do it? Can you do Trevor? No. Oh
3: man. In um, your recent tour, why chemistry? You know, it was the unsung hero of the album, and uh, I think. At multiple, at different points, everyone in Jawbreaker thought it should have been the single. And we never played it live for some weird reason. Just a quirk of the band, like, you want to practice that? Nah. Let's do these other songs. So it was kind of this, I don't know, it was just like a secret track on the record, but people really liked it. And it was more personally true to me. That was really my high school, the celebrity high school, and the kind of frustration of being in a, being alone in high school which who can't relate to that nope (laughs) (laughs) and it turns out it's like a kind of good folk song i mean i can do it alone in a i just think of evan dando when i sing it and i just like get into the the dando space which is my golden like i used to just sing lemonheads records before jets shows to warm up that's that's my comfort zone
0: what's your favorite lemonheads come on feel oh. that
3: was my like i would just go through big gay heart to me is like one of the most underrated oh like how brave is that song Yeah,
0: oh it's amazing down about it that song is one of the most positive tunes yeah ever
3: God, love yeah that's great record. i love that band i mm-hmm. mean i think it was the australian people where they just had this great sound but i like all of it you know mm-hmm. i mean i like early they were a band that i just grew up they made me write better and take more chances and Melodically, it's so rich.
0: And then he toured with the Descendants. A, yeah, a, <laughs> he had Carl Alvarez and Bill Stevenson yeah. as as the Lemonheads for one tour.
3: Like, yeah. And so. I like that. That record mm-hmm. uh, has some some really good tracks on it. I don't know. I just he always his solo record. I think is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I just think he's always going to have really out there great ideas. And you know, he's just he's so tuneful.
0: I back that. See. Out there with you. This comes from our friend David Lewis, who um, asks uh, delicately, "What do you? Th- what are your thoughts on reunions, and if you think they're worth it?"
3: I'm trying to think of the ones I've seen that I really liked, and I would be would af- be afraid of offending a band by saying it was reunion when they'd actually been just <laughs> plugging
0: away. <laughs> it could be. It's hard know? to tell it's sometimes. really yeah. yeah, we've yeah. talked a lot about it here on the podcast with bands who've broken up and reunited, and bands who've thought for. Um, as bad as it sounds, just for their livelihood, breaking up to reunite a few years later because they didn't realize that, you know, it's kind of like what you said about Jawbreaker, like you watched, you know, the power of that band grow after it ended, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want to think about, it's hard to not, it's hard to not think that you're just going to capitalize on it if that were to happen with either Jawbreaker or Jets or whatever, you know,
3: that kind of thing. Yeah. I I don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I really um because I think I've gone to a few shows where I've thought that was great. I mean, if the band is good and they're in their music, um, I wish I had a great example. But I've seen shows where I I thought, yeah, this I'm having a great time. I love this band again. I get to see them. I think seeing Superchunk a few years ago at the Seaport, like it just blew. I was just there. I was like, this is no Pocky for Kitty. I'm in my apartment in San Francisco going, how do people do music like this? And it, I don't know if it was a reunion or they're just, they're, Super Chunk kind of seems perennial.
1: Yeah, I don't think they ever officially, I don't think they
3: But they, up. Yeah, they were really present. And I thought the energy was amazing in an outdoor show. And you could just see people looking around just being like, yes. Yeah. And like, I can't believe this is happening.
0: I think the Pixies are kind of the, the main example because they came back and just played everything. And they did that Doolittle tour, which you're like, okay, that's kind of cool to hear it all live. But now they're doing new stuff, but Kim quit. So now Kim Shattuck's in the band, which seems like a totally different <laughs> vibe to me. And she's like my favorite female vocalist of all time. But I'm like, that's not the Pixies, that's but the Puffs. Also, like I have no, you know, it's like weird.
1: The Pixies is a good example of like, when they first reunited, they were playing much larger venues than they had played at their height.
0: They did a week at Hammerstein. Yeah. Like,
1: they were never playing venues that big Mm. or... Yeah. So, like... And there's a few bands that... You you know... You know what would have been a great reunion show, I think? I honestly believe it would have been The Clash. And supposedly, it was on its Mm. way to happening. Because everybody in the band was... Still had very relevant musical careers. Like, they were in shape, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, those guys... Because I remember hearing that it was supposed to happen, and I, I was that, like, yeah. "I was like, you know what? This should happen because all these." Because I had just seen like the Mescaleros, and it was fucking awesome, and I was like, "This could work." Like the Clash the clash reunion now at this point, which would have been like, I
0: don't know, when did he die? Like, 11, 11 years ago. Yeah, I mean,
3: that's so long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like <laughs> My, you know, the, um, Jeremy and Chris from the Jets went to the St. Andrews show of Joe Strummer. Or not Saint Andrew, Saint, is that right, St. Andrews? Under the... In Dumbo. You know, that big hall under, under the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, yeah.
1: Is that what it's called? I know what you're talking about.
3: It was his last show in New York and they invited me and I was like, I can't go. I'm a, I had some dumb reason and I've always regretted that. Yeah. That, I loved him at that point. Mm-hmm. I thought he was so fearless. Yeah. Like he always is. You know, he would just go out there and be like, I have no shame about this because I'm doing a good thing.
1: Yeah, and he was obviously... Did you did you see that band at all?
3: Mescaleros? Yeah. No.
1: Because it was so obvious that he was having a fucking great time on stage. Like, it, he, he just looked like he was so psyched to be up there. And it well, was you like, hear it
3: in the records. I yeah, mean, I think you hear it in the records, too. The energy is so fun. And, like, they're doing so... It's hard to do a, a polyphony of styles. But he could always, I think, yeah, find an the, organic way to that's do... That's the
1: biggest musical tragedy of all the oh, time. It's, Everybody it's, else, yeah. like, you know, I mean... Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix. I mean, these are like, but
0: fucking, he was like... That's an old tale. This was like... He was vital and like happy and like... eh. Brings a tear to my eye right now. Oh, yeah. Right. It, <laughs> it, that, that's murdersome. Uh, this one comes from our good friend... Uh, so
3: reunions are good if Joe Strummer's doing them. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, just stay at home and get a paycheck. Figure out how to sell your songs to iTunes or Volkswagen, you know. Save, save everyone the headache. Uh, that's your new business card. All bands
0: <laughs> being asked to reunite. Stay at home. Uh, this comes
3: from our good friend Brendan
0: Casey. This is important. What's your favorite meal in New York City?
3: It's going to be one I make at home... For my girl and me. It'd involve any locally <laughs> grown, amazing things that I put together. I like to cook, so ah, that'd be it.
0: Right on. And uh well, what's your specialty then? Oh yeah.
3: I do like a summer Italian I like cold, fresh pastas with tons um not tons, really simple, but just elegant Alice Waters type cooking where it's just fresh, fast. Flash frying or like, and then chilling, you know, mm. noodles, noodles, vegetables, a lot I of like olive oil, a lot of olives, pasta salad, yeah. Mediterranean, just anything like that reflects that kind of cooler summer food or hot, hot climate food. And of course, Mexican, because that's what I grew up with. So I like to use a lot of avocados, a lot of cilantro. Lime.
0: All right. Pepper. I'm sorry. The answer was number seven. Ch- sub. that was
3: the answer. <laughs> so seven layer burrito basically is He's what I'm good much at. That was it.
0: Um, we had, uh, we've had a couple times on the podcast, our friend Lyle Pressler from Minor Threat. And he told us a very interesting story that I hope segues into something interesting as well. That when the book, Our Band Could Be Your Life came out, he never called back Michael Azarad. And then finds there's a chapter written about his band in the book, which I read and really enjoyed. But upon hearing that, made me skeptical. And recently on Facebook, you took the gentleman to task, and you we did. got a He lady- never called
3: me back either. <sighs> no, couldn't believe it. He he wrote a whole book without me.
0: Yeah, so you <laughs> And he too, never yeah. even called me back. Mm.
3: No, I love these guys. They're great. You know the people that do this work. It's so selfless, and um, you know I think. Curtis is probably smiling and everyone's happy that someone's getting the record straight so yeah i think what the world needs now is definitely another you know punk memoir by a person who doesn't even go out of their cubicle i love it i think it's great i wish him all the luck in the world with his business <laughs>
0: That was the number one question of like, not number one, but that was in all the people we asked right questions because we're all fans, follow you. And they were like, what was that about?
3: I wouldn't, and I feel it's giving the whole thing too much credit to Mm -hmm. attribute it to a person. I never read that book. I I did read the juicy parts and I loved them. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Anything about the butthole surfers is going to be amazing. I mean, just tell stories. Sure, that hit a nerve and that was great. Mm -hmm. It's more the careerism of this and so you know i can think of a few names but i really don't follow that world Mm -hmm. it's just when that becomes the the definitive story of these bands and little microcultures, then i think then i get bummed i think it's it's unfair to the the people who are there and the actual bands the music and the fans
0: it is an interesting parallel we had um uh the late arturo vega in here uh who's a friend of ours and um we asked him, I think you might, might been jono asked him what's the best ramon's like story what's the best biography because there's just so many it's like what was definitive mm-hmm. and he said it was one like you know in ninety four like years before they broke up, before any of them died, and like he said like to have someone who was there say this specific book he said it was researched well, he talked to everybody, they put it together, and it's hard to to retell that and your story that I just remember reading about from I remember Tower Records put out a magazine that said yep. uh, a Jawbreaker goes Mersh and I remember like what the hell does Mersh mean <laughs> I still <laughs> what have Mersh mean it meant commercial because it was uh, right when you guys were you know moving to that big major label uh, world that happened and it was weird because I didn't thought that wasn't one an odd title but the magazine was free you got it when you walked in so I guess they can put whatever the fuck <laughs> they want but uh it was like i'm reading about someone i admire and whose music touches me filtered through a journalist and it's jonas a journalist and i've written it's just hard to i don't know it's weird it's like that weird how do you do it how do you like don't put this on me man
3: Yeah. so wait a minute you who broke punk with the uh didn't we get someone earlier? Oh, I broke it. Um, that was me. Oh, was yeah, you. that was yeah, Stephen. I did. It and was you after- broke journalism. I
2: broke journalism, and Trevor's trying to put it back together. I think. Yeah.
3: I see. Yeah, yeah. I and know. Bro- I mean, it's a lot. Of, it's a healing project. Like, I think for older people who still stay with in music, and like, you know, there's got to be some kind of, I think, consensus to drive out some of this nonsense. Be like these little climbers and back climbers. I call them like who come in and just be like, "Hey, I could do a queen, clean, quick business here. Just I'll just write a twenty-five thousand words about whoever just died, you know, and just sell it." It seems to me that there's been this shift in journalism where it was. The, I love the new journalism of the '70s, like when the culture was freaking out, and you know, Joan Didion was writing first person from the trenches. Totally reactionary. I mean, whatever her, but it just transcended news gathering in a way. It's this new kind of writing. Now I think people read that and think they can do it and they're the center of their story, but they're doing a puff piece or they're doing a, you know, a portrait and yet they're the story. Every, this is what I dislike yeah, about those books.
1: Yeah, that's the worst.
3: Yeah. You suddenly realize, like, God, I'm not even hearing about Joe Strummer anymore. I'm hearing about how this person felt about his apartment right. and like, one will notice in Joe's flat, you know, several commemorative iron crosses in the corner. Hmm, what's that about? <laughs> like suddenly the whole story is about the journalist and that to me is, what happened? It's like editorializing. Jonah, what happened? <laughs> Why like, did you break I'm s- journalism?
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a rough couple of years and just kind of self-involved
3: and I don't know. Yeah, Luckily, You, you just you a got a co-op over here in Williamsburger and you're like, i got to make the payments. <laughs> 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 These
2: things are not cheap. They're not guess cheap. guess I could
3: do the Amy Winehouse book. The penthouses like, are end. not cheap, yeah. Yeah. Baby needs sunglasses, you know? That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to do any reissues of the Jets records? I don't know. You know, that's funny. We never really broke up. It was pretty gentle in that band. It was just like people were moving, getting married, and it was adult times. Wasn't there going to be a tour that didn't happen for after Perfecting Loneliness, or well, that was yeah. I had a an episode, so I just decided I I didn't decide it was decided by me, <laughs> by my mind <laughs> that I could not leave my apartment mm-hmm. for a month, and um, so we yeah we had to cancel, and then we did our makeup tour like a year mm-hmm. later. Was for six months, it was it was a long build up to get back into that. Was that anxiety or I don't see I don't like. I feel it. Uh, well, no, I think it was me. It was being alive, like I was suffering from having been alive for thirty-nine years or whatever. You know? I don't pathologize behavior anymore because I think that's such an industry.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But if by anxiety you mean like shaking, chain smoking, sitting on the corner of my tub, going like, "How am I going to tell these guys I can't go?" That I, I did have that. Yep. So good. Okay.
2: Yeah. Maybe I can write an article about that. we can talk about it. I can filter it through my brain. Yeah, you can ask well, what they-
3: anxiety wants, but then the clonopin kind of helped, but mostly I'm on a, a cocktail of Wilbura and Zoloft, and that seems to be working pretty well anyway, back to Blake, yeah uh, <laughs> if, you, if you were to go to Blake's apartment, you would notice a couple small uh, Illuminati kind of type items and, uh, I don't know, it just makes you wonder, but anyway. <laughs> Hey man, yeah, I don't know. Who's gonna who's gonna change this? Or do they just get to do the do the robots just get to run the asylum with think? their ATM cards? I was thinking of that pavement line, which I loved without even knowing, you know, in the unconscious Malcolm's genius, he talks about waving pagers like they just don't care. You know that song? It's about California, so I automatically was like, he's singing about the valley. But uh yeah. Anyway, I just think of that, you know, waving their ATM cards like they just don't care. They definitely own it right now. They own it monetarily. I mean, materially, they own it. They own you. Uh, next tour is Europe. That's right. I've been driven out of America by these ATM waving zealots on a rail. I'm going to a more kind of secular country system.
0: If you could for us, and I've asked many people to do this, and no one's taken me up on it, write down every question the German journalist will ask you. Really? Yeah. Because they always, the stories of them just ask, because they always have, every band I've talked to has something about how they, they, there's no filter. So to be like, you know, this song is great, but you seem to have gained weight. Yeah, you absolutely. Know?
3: Yeah. No, I love that. about. Yeah. I mean, I'm Swiss, so... Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yes. This ain't my first rodeo. You know? <laughs> These kids come at me with that, and I'm like, "Oh, Hans, I know you. you know, it's, it's of course I did put on the weight, but it's just only because I'm have a drinking problem. It's the, it's the alcohol content. It's not the chocolate." <laughs> but you're right. This show was not good. Not good. We get that. I mean, Jets got it. We, we were a little thin-skinned about it. For, uh, Forgetters did really well over there. Maybe we were a better band, but jawbreaker man we used to freak out because they would come up and just say like this this was not a good show (laughs) and we and actually it wouldn't have been we would have like really blown it because sound amps whatever but to have someone a big man come up and tell you that immediately when you walk off stage like there was a few nights where i would like shoulder check somebody or we would just just tear up the room and be like fuck you guys we're out of (laughs) here you know and then over time i discovered it's actually just cultural it's cultural. I think a lot of it's language and the history of, you know, social codes. Like Germans are the most emo, sweetheart, like love music mm-hmm. people I've met. And that it just took me a while to figure out how we're communicating. Then suddenly they're like, this song is making me cry. <laughs> this, when you do the sweet avenue, I'm, my heart is, it's on the floor. I don't know what the words. <laughs> like, there's that too. They're not just these brutes. Right. You know? I think that's kind of a provincial, when the Americans go over and they're like, they're such assholes. They're like, <laughs> You're such a sissy. Like, Why don't you just push back and say, what, you didn't like it? Why? <laughs> That's all they want, I think, is to converse. You know."
0: It took Blake Korksenbach to, to find the German journalist for us. See, here's the thing about Blake. So, I, it already people have asked me like what would you do if blake was here and i'm like i don't know i don't even want to think about it, it would freak me out so I'm, I'm gearing up before this is before the podcast and i go to this i go to the one of the many bagel places in the area and i walk up and i'm ordering something and i'm standing there i'm waiting and blake just rides up on a bicycle <laughs> and i'm like oh now i, I have ready. to not ready so i walk up and i'm like hey hey i'm you're, we're talking in a minute and he's like oh great and he couldn't have been nicer and just so cool, and then after the podcast, we just hung out and talked, and it was just great. And if if you um for Christopher Lager, that's the other one we didn't mention earlier. Yes, Christopher Lager, one of his um many pseudonyms. Uh, when he, he does, he posts some things on Facebook that he's ridiculously funny. Like he'll do some funny little videos; they are hilarious. And his you got you see you've seen him solo, and his um solo performances. We talked about it are pretty much performance art. YouTube them; they're great. Because he's now throwing in some drawbreaker songs and some jet songs. Yes.
2: Yeah. He, he ha- never has actually when I've seen him, but Trevor Kelly has sent video of him starting to do it. Yeah. Well, like that's
0: like when when Trevor emails me or texts me, it's usually about Blake, and I like that.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. And I want to thank Matt um, from Generation Records and everything who helped set up the Blake thing. He was super helpful, and uh, he's an awesome dude
0: and uh also beyond cool he hung out too just yeah
2: but yeah so thanks for making this happen it was kind of complicated to schedule and took a long time um and i'm super happy with how it came out
0: yeah i I don't get to say this awesome this all this often but a literal dream come true for me. So thank yeah. you very much, Matt, for having us. Blake, thanks for hanging out. Um, you can come back in any time you and, want. <laughs> and Michael has read. we hope you enjoy this podcast. Oh Yeah, Michael, thank you. Good
1: luck. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you're
0: a fan, oh, Lord. We'll get Mike in here. And we'll talk. Yeah, about Yeah, that it. would be awesome. We can. We, we'll hash it all out, guys. Uh, if you want to critique this episode, go ahead and hit us up at Facebook.com/slash/going_off_track. Um, nothing you say will hurt me. Uh, go to goingofftrack.com if you like what you hear and like the wonderful job Jonah's been doing booking us all these awesome guests and you want to buy Jonah a bagel or something, hit the donate button and we will make that happen. Or we'll use it to pay for the website, which is what I normally do. Um, Follow us on Twitter at Going Off Track. can't make a bagel without dough. That's right. Damn. Yeah. How, does that, how do I not think of that? Lord help. Because
2: you're not... <laughs> it's good. It's a curse. Uh, but yeah. Follow us online. Going off track on Twitter. Follow on Jonah Facebook. at a gig
1: or a DJ Yeah. Give event us... I, I DJ beer. the
2: third Thursday of every month at Idle Hands. Come to that. DJing in mm-hmm. Drublick. We're on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Sound Advice is on, is uh, a thing I do that's on YouTube. You so uh, much shit going United on. United Nations is a band I do that you can't find anywhere online, except we are on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and
0: just... Check out our stuff, I guess. And if you have a band that's unsigned and want to record, then go to Rubber Tracks where you'll find Brad. But only if you're good. Yeah, yeah if you suck, don't, don't yeah. bother. But Keep practicing. That, it takes it really That's really subjective. I and mean, we, we don't know. We don't know your deal. We'll hear you next week. <laughs>